Amen. This week we're continuing a series we started about three weeks ago on discipleship. And uh, it's been good. You know, we talked about, and we're going to do just a little bit of review, hit some of the high points to, to catch some of you, maybe if you weren't here. And, uh, and we're going to move right in. This, you know, the first couple of weeks we talked about the cost of discipleship. You know, salvation's free, but discipleship will cost you something. It costs you something uh, to live for the Lord. But this is the thing, is that every time, God never asks you to sacrifice something or to pay something that He doesn't recompense you immensely for it. Remember, this will anything God asks us to do, Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the, the plans I have for you to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a future and a hope. So even if God asks us in discipleship to give up some things that might seem painful to give up or a cost that there's a sacrifice to, the intention is always to your good. God is never out to give you the short end of the stick. Amen? He's not a man. Don't think that when we deal with God that we're dealing with someone that has the characteristics and the flaws that, that men do. He's God. He's perfect. He's holy. And so if you have your Bibles, just go ahead. We're going to read uh, the, uh, the, the main text of this series that we've been looking at. We want to start with Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we want to look uh, starting with verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what shall a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in glory with his Father and his angels, and then he will recompense to every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you that there are some who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And we just want to pause there for a minute and, and bring out some of the things that we've mentioned briefly. You notice that we said that it is a requisite of becoming a of, of being a disciple of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. Self-denial is a requisite. In other words, we've said this, we said it plainly, if you're not denying yourself anything and call yourself a follower of Jesus, something stinks. Because a requisite of being a follower of Jesus is there are things in your life that might be, and we said this, the thing in of itself might not be a bad thing. You understand we're not talking about denying yourself sinful pleasure. We're not talking about that. Is that the thing itself that God might speak to you and say, I want you to deny yourself that. The thing in itself might not be a bad thing. I'll give you an example out of my life. You all, some people have heard me say this before, and I don't want to say it again. I'm going to ask Pastor Cheyenne to, to keep me in check on it. If I had did exactly what I wanted to do with my life, right about now, or a few years ago, I would have finished up law school at the University of Georgia. Cheyenne and I would have moved to Coffee County, Georgia, and built a house on one of her mother's farms. And we would be living on a farm in Coffee County and I'd be practicing law if I did what I wanted to do. And pastor was smart enough and had good enough grades that I could have easily got into law school. All right? That, that's not the question. Some people think, well, you're just a preacher because you couldn't do nothing else. No, I could have done lots of other things. But you understand that when you have a revelation that Jesus is Lord, 
How many of y'all know, is there anything wrong with being, uh, being an attorney? Now, I know there's all kinds of lawyer jokes. You know, how do you know a lawyer's lying, their mouth's moving, right? But how many of you know there are godly attorneys? There are godly lawyers. There are godly lawyers in this country right now that are fighting tooth and nail for our rights as believers in this country, and a lot of them do it pro bono. So the point is, is in and of itself, being an attorney, there's nothing wrong with that. But if I heard the Holy Spirit say, I have called you and set you apart for the ministry, or if I turned a deaf ear to the Holy Spirit not wanting to hear from Him, because it scares people. Because this thing, when it comes to denying ourselves, it, it can be scary to some people. Well, I don't want to give up my right to do what I... I don't, I don't want to hear what God would have to say. But you understand, but once I heard that, and I knew what God's will was, I could have went after pursuing something that the thing itself there was nothing wrong with, a pursuit that nothing was wrong with, but it would have been a sin to me because it was contrary to what the, the call and, and, and what God wanted me to do. So you see, there came a denying myself. This ain't a soft story. But you know, God has met every need that we've had. But Pastor Shina, we've had some lean times. There have been lean times. God's met every one of our needs. But there's been lean times. And, and there was times when, you know, that I could have pursued something else or stayed someplace else and, and not done what God told me. When God said, go to Valdosta, Georgia, and I want you to plant a church in Valdosta, Georgia, I could have said, no, 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 God. No, thank you. We're pretty comfortable right now. Income's good. Got a paid-for house. Life's good. We're just now starting to have a family. I live next to my, I live in the same town, the same community that my family lives in. It's good. I'm going to stay here. But guess what? There had to be, that was something that made me comfortable. And there's no, how many of y'all know there's nothing wrong with living around your family? There's nothing wrong with living around your family. Thank Jesus there's nothing wrong with living comfortably financially. Amen? But the thing is, is that when that takes, when your comfort, when you're unwilling to deny yourself to follow the will of God, to de deny your desires, well, then you're not really following Jesus because he, he said, if you follow me, you must deny yourself. Amen? And so uh, we want to go on. And the second main text we had was John chapter 8. John chapter 8, just ver and verses 31 and 32. It says, Jesus, therefore, was saying to the Jews who had believed on him, Understand this, he's talking to believers, right? This scripture says Jesus is speaking to the Jews who believed on him. He said, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But concentrate on that first. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. Uh, you are dis truly disciples of mine. And so we, we, what we brought out of this teaching was gee, this Scripture and the Lord Jesus Christ made the distinction between believers and disciples. There is a difference between just, just being a believer and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, we're talking about discipleship, but you understand that that word discipleship, the word disciple, it comes from the word discipline, which means that you have, will, you have willingly and of your own free choice submitted yourself to a program of discipline in which you of your own will and, and, and your own choosing choose to deny yourself certain things. And, we, and Paul and all through the Bible 
athletic training is used as an example. Is that, you know, Paul, you, know, you talk about if someone is in the Olympics, you know, there's not very many people who are, are, are Olympic degree uh, athletes that they go out, you know, the night before competition and, you know, eat half of a deep dish pizza and knock down a pitcher of beer and, you know, some hot wings. Why? Because they understand that to perform at the level that they need to to be a world-class athlete, that there has to be a disciplining. Most of those people, and you understand, most of these people, that, from what I understand, that are Olympic-level athletes, many of them have, have jobs that they do. You know, they've got their 9-to-5 job that they do, and they're, and they're athletes as well, but th- when, when most of us are still in the bed, they're swimming laps in the pool. Maybe before some of us have rolled over, they're finishing up mile number eight on the morning run. And they go to bed before we do. They ain't staying up watching the tonight show. They ain't staying up till 11.30 and watching Jay Leno. Why? Because, they've got, because they have to, to do something and the discipline that they've submitted themselves to, the discipleship, if you will, that they have submitted themselves to, demands that priorities have to change. Now some of them might... Uh, TiVo him or DVR stuff. You understand what I'm saying? But they go to bed earlier. They they do not eat like an average person does, and they and they train. Why? Because they have willingly submitted themselves to the develop to a disciplinary program, and where they have to deny themselves. Yeah, they might want the pizza and the hot wings, and they might want the beer, but they're not going to have it. They're going to be eating a salad and a piece of chicken breast. Or a salad and a piece of salmon or something like that. And they might want to stay out late and hang out with their friends, but guess what? They're going to be looking at their watch going, no, I've got to get to bed because 3 o'clock in the morning rolls around early when I'm going to be in the pool swimming laps. And so they realize there has to be a priority change. But Jesus said, if you're going to go from being a believer, he's talking to a believer. Remember, we're talking about believers and we, and we brought this, we submitted this to you. Is that when the... the Believer, the difference between believers and disciples is spiritual maturity. That if so, you can you can be a believer, and if you and 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 and, to, and that represents a spiritual baby. We, we gave you this: a believer is a spiritual baby. Yes, they're a child of God. Yes, they're born again, but they're a spiritual baby because they never progress. Because understand. About, do we believe that if we abide in the Word, do we believe that if we know the Word and we do the Word that it produces spiritual maturity in our lives? Yes, it does. But you understand this, that someone that's just a believer, and you understand this, that doesn't mean that in one or two areas of your life you might be uh, disciplined. I'll put, I'll put it this way, or matured. I'll put it this way. Savannah, when she was born, the morning that she was born. How long does it usually take before babies are lifting their head up and holding their head up? A couple months? The morning that Savannah was born, when we took her and laid her on Cheyenne's chest in the hospital bed, Savannah raised her head up, held it, and looked around. Now, that's uncommon. That's very uncommon. And so we said, you know, normally in the development of a child, that takes months. Takes months normally. In that one area, she is mature beyond her age, but she's still a baby. 
So my point to you is, you can be developed in some attributes of maturity, but still be a baby. Still be a believer, still be a baby. Here's a characteristic of a baby or a carnal Christian, an immature believer. Carnal babies, you know, the Bible we see sometimes we call it flesh-ruled. I like this. If we are carnal, it, carnal, believe, carnal Christians, baby believers, um, just believers, they are governed by their physical senses. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean what you can observe with your eyes, what you can hear with your ears, what you reason in your own intellect has more influence on your life and on the decisions you make than what the Holy Ghost does. And that's the, tell, and that's the telltale sign that, you're, that you've not progressed far from believer to spiritual because, let's look at the other hand, spiritual people, spiritually mature people, People who have moved from just being a believer to a disciple, like Jesus said, are people who abide in the Word. And if you abide in the Word, then your life is governed by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so Jesus is saying, if you abide in my Word, then you're going to be disciples indeed. Jesus, He said, understand this, they believed on Him. Does believing on Jesus make you a disciple? No. It makes you a believer. You understand the word if. If is a conditional word. If I say, uh, if I say, Chuck, if you'll come over here to the church, uh, Tuesday at noon, um, I'm gonna, you know, I wanna take you out to lunch and I got a gift I wanna give you. If you come here at noon. Now, what if Chuck doesn't come Tuesday at noon? Does he have a right to expect me to give him lunch or to give him a gift? No. Why? Because I said if. It's conditional. Jesus said, if... Is that what He said? He said, if you abide in My Word, you are truly disciples. That's important too. Yeah, how many of you all know Jesus didn't speak words loosely? That when He used words, He meant... He, so, Jesus is saying, if you abide in My Word, you're to My disciples truly. In other words, what I get from that is, there's lots of people who think they're disciples, but they're not truly disciples. If you can be a truly disciple, then you can be a falsely disciple, right? So Jesus is saying, if conditionally, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Okay? But anyway, before and so before we go, that's just a little bit of review where we've come to. You know, we talked about the cost of discipleship, and we're looking at some other things. But I want to review also, last week we mentioned, that the, the, the teaching last week was the benefits to being a disciple. Because we talked about the cost, we talked about what you had to pay to be a disciple, but we also mentioned there are benefits. Because remember what I said, God is setting you up for success. Everything God asks you to do, just like the Olympic athlete, when the trainer says, don't eat this, eat that. When the trainer says, don't stay up this late, go do this. When they say that, there's discipline and there's discomfort caused by it. But the end result is to make you your fullest potential that you can be and to make you be able to perform to your highest potential. Okay? Um, and so last week we mentioned that the benefits of being a disciple, and I keep this in mind, the whole purpose of discipleship is the disciple becomes just like the master. Just like the master. That is the whole idea behind the concept of, of, of discipleship. The goal is, the Bible says in John, I think uh, John chapter 8 says, when you are perfectly trained or when you are completely trained, 
Jesus speaking to the disciples, you will be just like the Master. How many of us want to be just like Jesus? I don't want to be a shadowy image of Him. I want to be just like Jesus. Oh, now, Pastor, you're talking about something that's impossible. Is it impossible? Did Jesus tell us we could have something that was impossible? No. So, the purpose is of the disciple to be just like the Master. And one of the benefits that we mentioned was, first of all, is that as we abide in the Word and we do the Word and we are disciples and we move from being believers to disciples, as we move from being spiritual babies that are governed by our physical senses to the spiritual man who is governed by the Word and by the Spirit, is that we grow, we mature, and that we live above the influence of the devil and sin. Because how many of y'all know you can be born again, you can be a believer, and you can still have unrighteousness on you? Now, Jesus clothed you with righteousness. And, God, and this is the thing. We've got to understand some things people are real good at seeing one side of and not seeing the other. But you understand this. When you become born again, you become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? Do we believe that when Jesus, when we say, Jesus, you are Lord, you are the supreme authority in my life, that spiritually something takes place that Jesus said one time was called the new birth and that we become a new creature in Christ? Jesus, and the Bible says, Behold, all things have passed away, and all things become new, and you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right? So we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus and our faith in Him. But, John, 1 John, chapter 1, if we sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all... Wait a minute. I thought we were the righteousness of God in Christ. Let me give it to you like this. When we become a believer, this will help you understand a little bit. When we profess the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we become born again and we become that new creature in Jesus... It's just like God reaches in the, co- in the coat closet of heaven and He pulls out this sparkling white robe of righteousness and clothes the believer in it and says, You are pure and righteous before me. I have given you my righteousness. But how many of you know that you... It, how many of you ever bought new clothes that were clean and looked sharp and looked fine? And especially if you've got a kid, glory to God, you know what it's like to get some mess up on your clothes, Right? But you get something on it, and then what you got to do? You got to take it to the cleaners. You know, if it's something that you don't feel comfortable slinging in the old Maytag, you know, you don't throw, you know, real nice clothes in the Maytag. You take it to the cleaner and have it done professionally. But you got to take it and get that spot removed. Well, guess what? You still, if I had to take my jacket to the cleaners to get cleaned, I still got a jacket, right? But it's got some blemishes on it that need to be dealt with. If you sin you're still the righteousness of God in Christ, but you got some spots on your robe that you need to go first on one nine it. Confess your sins to God. And He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness and say, wait a minute, let me go ahead and get that cleaned off because the same blood that made you righteous in the first place, baby, can clean that little mess off and get you right back in perfect standing with God. But what we said is, is that the believer who is clothed in righteousness, who is walking uprightly before God, the devil and sin has no power over you. Amen? Praise God. Do we believe that? And the second benefit we mentioned was that as, as the benefit of being a disciple, abiding in the Word, we will receive our requests that we make to the Father. 
Did the Lord Jesus get everything that He asked for? Yes, He did. Everything. Jesus never had a prayer that didn't get answered. This is the key, though. It's abiding in the Word. What's known as the Word of Faith movement in America today has got such a bad rap because some people have taken the message that was preached and they've twisted it and perverted it to something that it absolutely is not. To say, well, you just, you know, if you want something, well, bless God, you just pray it and confess it enough and God will give it to you. Anything, anything you want. Now, Brother Hagin didn't teach that. And you ain't done, don't tell me, and people don't need to tell me, oh, that Hagen guy, no, no, that Hagen guy didn't teach that because I sat in the class and I heard the Hagen guy teach and I know what the Hagen guy taught. He said, you can't, you know, said one guy, he said, he, said, uh, he told one guy, he said, well, you just can't confess that God's going, he said, that God's going to give me 10,000 oil wells. Where can you find in the Word that God said He would give you 10,000 oil wells? This is the, the key. If you abide in the Word, then you're my disciples indeed. If you abide in my Word, and my Word abides in you, you'll ask the Father anything that you want in the Word, and it shall be given to you. Now, we'll say this, is that the Holy Spirit, that's why I say you've got to be governed by the Word and by the Spirit. Because how many of you know there are people in the church today that they're born again, uh, they're believers, some of them are even mature believers, they've moved on to be disciples, but they've never received the Holy Spirit. They've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they live a life absolutely governed by the Word. They do the Word. And they're righteous before God because they do the Word. But how many of you know that they can miss out on some of the blessings of God because the Word speaks generally about everything about God's will? But how many of y'all know and how many of y'all experience that the Holy Spirit will speak to you specifically about things He wants to give you? And things, because, you know, the Bible says, you know, uh, you know the, it says that uh, the Lord is a sun and shield. It said, no good thing will He withhold from uh, those who serve Him. Well, how many of you know no good thing? That's, that's a general statement. That's a real broad general statement. And, but what if, you know, the Lord saw that your heart was right, that you were seeking first the kingdom, and He wanted to bless you with a, some material thing. Just take the material thing of your choice. And the Holy Spirit spoke to you expressly, you know what, I want you to begin to believe God for that because you're seeking the kingdom first, your priorities are right, and the Father wants to, just wants to bless you. So, and, and, you. and the only way you're going to get that is if you have an ear in tune to the Holy Spirit to hear what He says. And so that's why it's so important that we have the Word and the Spirit Right? Because there's some things that the Word doesn't speak to specifically that the Spirit will speak to you specifically about that will always be in line with the Word. And then when you get that and it becomes a rhema word, a spoken word of the Spirit to you, then you can ask the Father anything you want in, according to the, in the Word and it will be given to you. And that's, a, and that's a benefit of discipleship. Well, the next thing we mentioned was, and we spent a lot of time on this, glory to God that we spent a lot of time on it, but it was good is that there is a reward in the next life. Now, really, it's a misnomer to say the next life. Because if you're born again, you've already passed from death unto life. You were dead. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you've been made alive unto God by Christ Jesus. Man, God breathed the breath of life into man 
and man became a living soul. Has anybody read that before? Is that in the Bible? Man, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You study that out, the words living soul. The word living means alive. Some of you will duh, pastor, living means alive. Soul means breathing creature. God breathed the breath of life. What was the breath of life? What was the breath of God? The pneuma of God. The roca of God. The Holy Spirit. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living, breathing creature. What's the difference between animals and man? Animals have souls. Animals are a soul. They're breathing creatures. They don't have a spirit. Man without the breath of God, man without the Holy Spirit is a living creature. Excuse me, is a breathing creature. Because see, we think just because somebody's up walking around because you can fog up a mirror that you're alive. God has a different, different definition of what live is. Because in God's book, something can be a breathing creature, and that's what each and every one of us were before we said, Jesus, you are Lord, and we were born again, and we were... what? Mm, thank you, Lord. What did Paul say? Paul said, there was a time that I was alive, and the Lord, and then the law revived, and then I died. Well, you mean I've got to be born again. At some point, when you were born of the water and brought into the earth, you were alive unto God because your spirit was innocent. And then sometime, some people will call it the age of accountability, whatever you want, at some point in your life, the law revived that convicted you of your sin apart from Jesus, and you died. Oh, you were still walking. You were still breathing. But you died. You were a breathing creature. You're still walking around breathing. You're still doing that. But to God, you were dead because God's definition of living means that the Spirit of God's in you. God breathed into Adam and Adam became a living, breathing creature. But you understand this, is that if we are in this life, there is a reward in the next stage of your life. We're talking about the benefit. Thank you, Lord. I've got to get back on track. We're talking about the, 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 one of the benefits of being a disciple is, is that you are accruing reward in the next phase of your life. Not the, not the life to come, but it, it is the next phase of your life because you are alive to God now and you will never die again. Oh, your earth suit, your dirt suit might lay down. Your dirt suit might stop breathing and your heart might stop beating and this body might lay down and they might dig a hole and put, that, put your container in it, but you're never going to die if you're born again. Okay? In the, in the next phase of our life, there is a reward at the Bible. And, and if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get the CD, go online, get that sermon, because I'm going to tell you what, it's something that the church does not hear taught much is, is that there are, that everybody is going to face a judgment. The unbelievers are going to stand before the white, great white throne judgment of God and be judged. The church is going to stand before the Bemis seat, the judgment seat of Christ, the reward seat of Christ. And, over, and we read over in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns in the, with the glory of His Father and these angels, said He'll record, reward each one according to their deeds. And we mentioned last week how we'll stand before God. That we will pre- as believers, we will present the work of our life to God. 
and it's going to be tried by the fire of God. And it says that some people will be believers. You ain't going to hell. You're saved. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God gave that to you. That was good. But we will stand before Him to give Him account of the work that we've done for Him. And it says that some people's works will be completely burned up when the fire of God tests it. He said there's going to be gold, silver, precious stones, and then wood, hay, and stubble. And, and, it's going, and the fire of God's going to test the quality of our work and see what we've done. And it says there are some people that they will have, that will have lived their whole life and they're going to present their works before God and when the fire of God tests it and it's all burned up to a complete ash heap, that there are going to be people that are they're saved, but they're entering into the fullness of the kingdom with absolutely no reward. And we don't want to be that, right? And we, and we do not want that to be us, okay? And so... So we're striving toward discipleship, the benefits of discipleship. Quickly, this, this one, we'll take a look at, at four things that will, would be an obstacle to keep you from becoming a disciple. What is it in our life? What is it that if on the day we stood before Christ and He judged the works of our life and everything that we did was all burned up and we didn't have anything to show God that anything that we put our hand to to, to further the kingdom... What things could possibly be obstacles to keep us from doing things for the kingdom? Well, the first one, I'll just say this real quickly, is ignorance. Because how many of you know a lot of believers are not taught this way? Many churches, they do not teach the Word this way. They do not teach you. You understand this, that, baby, your works have absolutely zilch, zero, nothing to do with whether or not you are born again and whether you are a believer. But your works and what you do determines whether or not you are a disciple and, it, and what you do in your works and what you do on the earth does determine what your reward is going to be when we enter into the fullness of the kingdom. Amen? And so we want to look at the... But, the, but ignorance is the biggest one. And that's not us, right? We're being taught. We know, we know the Word. So that was... But many believers that we'll meet, it's, com, it's complete ignorance. It's not because they're stiff-necked against God. It's not because they're rebellious against God. It's not because they've got a big chip on their shoulder toward a preacher or anything like that or the church, something like that. It's not that. It's they're just completely ignorant of it. They have no idea. Amen? The next thing is, we want to look at, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Now, this, uh, what we're, this passage that we're getting ready to read is absolutely one of the hardest scriptures. You remember the Bible talks about that Jesus was teaching and you know, it says some of the people got offended at some of the stuff. He said, he said man, that's a hard saying. Who can hear it? I'm getting out of here. This is one of those passages. This is one of those passages that a lot of people in the church read it. And go, hmm, that's hard. Or they say, oh, well, that's a mystery. I just don't understand it. Well, let's skip on. It's not. Amen? Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 25. I'm going to read through verse 35. Now great multitudes were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, 
when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is strong enough with 10,000 to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt becomes tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Wow. Take your pick of things that say is a hard saying and get offended about in this passage. Right? Remember Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, and we're talking about discipleship, Jesus says the first thing that we want to talk about is, is that your family, people's family, a lot of time comes in between them and them being a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, but now, I just don't believe that. This is one of those verses Oprah would have a hard time with, right? Because she back, she, because out of her own mouth, she backslid out of Christianity because the preacher said God was a jealous God. Well, I just didn't think jealous, jealousy was a sin. I just didn't think it was right for God to be a sinner, so I just turned my back on Christianity. That's what Oprah said out of her own mouth. This is one of those verses that Oprah backslid about. But Jesus told us to hate our mama. Well, I thought Jesus came preaching love. Love and unity. No, Jesus didn't preach love and unity. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. That's what the Word says, the gospel of the kingdom and repentance. But Jesus, right here, Jesus is saying that word hate. How many of y'all know the Bible, the English Bible is translated from the Greek language, the New Testament? That word hate, it literally means to love less. Because see, there's no, there's no single English word that transliterates from, uh, that transliterates from the Greek word to a word that, that, that we don't have a word in our language that means to love less. So the translators called it hate, but it literally means to love less. So read this verse in that context. It says, If anyone comes after me and does not love less his father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. God's not, Jesus is not advocating that you have a, a hatred and a hostility toward your family. What he's saying is there has to be a setting of priorities. Are we getting a hold of something? Discipleship, discipline, requires a setting of priorities. And Jesus is saying, you can't... He didn't say, it's hard for you to be my disciple. This, this passage doesn't say, it's hard for you to be my disciple if you, if you don't love your family less than me, does it? It says it's impossible. He says you can't. You cannot. I know people who we went to Bible school with. That God called them out to go to, to Bible school, and they went out and they hung with it for a few months. And usually around between Thanksgiving and Christmas, they got the, the homesick blues. I miss Mama. I miss Daddy. And they go home for the holidays, and they only, come back out, they only came back out to Tulsa to get their furniture and move back. Why? Because they loved Mama and Daddy more than they loved God. Oh, that's hard, Pastor. You're judging them. No, I'm not. Their actions are judging them. Their actions are judging them. Because you understand this, there's, there are people, I grew up in a church with people that God spoke to them definitely about leaving a church they were in and going to another one and submitting to a pastor that God had placed there and they wouldn't do it because, well, you know, my daddy's a deacon. You know, my, my, mom, my mama, you know, she does hospitality. My mama's the Sunday school class teacher there. I can't leave. Well, my father-in-law is the pastor. I couldn't hurt his feelings. 
You love them more than you love Jesus. And you, and you cannot be His disciple. You can't. You can not. If mama and daddy and wife and brother and sister and children have greater influence on what you do in your life, you can't be Jesus' disciple. Wow. That's hard, right? Amen? So understand, you understand that? It's, it's Luke, look at Luke chapter 9. You're there in 14. Turn to chapter 9. This is another one of those hard sayings. Luke chapter 9, start with verse 57. Because how many of you know, people were always asking Jesus. Jesus was never at a shortage of people asking to be His followers and asking to be His disciples. Why? Because Jesus walked in power. People recognized, man, there's something on Him. There's an anointing that's on Him. There's something about Him. He prays, heaven moves. And everybody wants some of that, don't they? Did we say in the book of Acts, what was it? Was it, was it Simeon or Simon the sorcerer? Simon the sorcerer. Simon the sorcerer. Peter and John, you know, the, the, when they were laying hands on people and they were receiving the Holy Ghost, man, said, man, I see that. I want some of that. Well, Jesus wasn't at a shortage for people that wanted to be His disciples. Because guess what? Because they saw the... Be- mm, thank you. Because they observed the benefits and they wanted the benefits, but they weren't willing to pay the cost. Lots of people in church... Oh, lots of people say, man, I want to walk in the anointing of Kenneth E. Hagenhead. I want to walk in the anointing of Oral Robertson. I want to walk in the anointing of this, that, and the other. And you ain't will, are you willing to make sacrifice? Are you so disciplined that if the Holy Spirit spoke to you and said, never drink a Coca-Cola again the rest of your life? Brother Hagen did that. Some of you, oh, God. Don't you, don't you blow that off and say, God wouldn't tell you to do that. Because if you'll be faithful, that's a little thing. How many of you know God says if you'll be faithful in a little thing, you'll be faithful in much? And I can trust you. Now, don't go out of here, you know, don't come back next week and say, oh, my God, everybody in church quit drinking Coke, and then a couple months later just say you have to go back on what you promised because God will hold you to your vows. How many of you all know Brother Hagin, when he, said, when he swore off Coca-Cola and said, I'll never drink another one the rest of my life, if he'd have broke down and ever drunk another Coca-Cola when he stood before the beam of seat Jesus and said, why did you drink that Coke? Because God will hold you to your vows, right? But you understand this is that, you know, Luke chapter 9, and they were going along the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. And he said, permit me to go first bury my father. And he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now this is another one of those hard things. Now, if you study this out, I've read some commentaries and you study this out, the man wasn't saying, hey, my daddy's corpse is laying at the house, let me go stick him in a hole and then I'll come be right with you. The, the, the innuendo from the terminology was that perhaps the man's father was alive and elderly and near death and the man was asking Jesus, Jesus, just let me stay with my daddy till he dies and then when he dies I can bury him and then I'll come be your disciple. That makes it... That, how many people do that? Well, you know, God, I know you want me to do this. I know you want me to go in and, and, and to do this, but you know what? I've got... Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible does teach to honor your, your parents. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying you kick mom out to the curb. Well, mom, you know, I wouldn't take care of you, but you just sit over here at the side of the road because Jesus called me to do something. I ain't talking about that. God won't, God won't, you understand this? God won't ask you to do something that violates His Word. 
And if there is no one else to take care of your parent, God will not. God knows your obligation to His Word, and He will not ask you to do something. But if you ain't the only one in the family that can meet the need, and there's other people in the family that are willing to meet the need, and God says go and do, well, God, I don't want. What if I'd have said, God, I, I just don't want to leave West Virginia till my till all my grandparents pass away because I love my grandparents. My grandmother's sitting in the back now. I'd still be sitting up in West Virginia, wouldn't I? And she's 83, and she'd keep on kicking for another 20 years easy if she wants to. Right? Lord bless her, and she's got, you know, got good health. She's got some stuff that, that, that's being dealt with, but she's in good health. Glory to God, she can chase Clay and, Re- and Jared all over the house. She's 83 years old. What if I'd have said, God, just let me, you know, she's my last grandparent that I have alive. What if I'd have said, God, you know, just let me, I know you're calling me out to go to Bible school. And I know you want me to go, be trained to go into the ministry full time. Just let me stay here till all my grandparents die. And after all my grandparents die, then I'll go on out to Raymond. I'll get trained and then I'll go do what you want me to do. Like I said, I'd still be sitting up in West Virginia. Not done anything. And I wouldn't have Cheyenne or my three kids. Because I met her and she is a reward for my obedience to, to the Lord. Amen? Praise God to talk about the gift that keeps on giving. We've got to figure out how to keep it from giving anymore, don't we, baby? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Jesus, you know, so you can't... That, again, Jesus is saying your family can't take priority over discipleship of, after, over following Him. Said so another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I used to think about that every time I'd plow my, uh, my parents' and my grandparents' vegetable garden when I was a kid. I'd have that old, uh, gravely, we had a little walk-behind tractor that would turn the, the soil. And I'd be walking it, and, uh, and my grandfather showed me, he said, well, look, he said, you start in the center, get you a stick here, and draw you straight, you know, look, find your straight line, put your stick down the bottom, and just follow your straight line. And I know, I, you know, when I was, I was maybe 13 years old, and that gravely was still big. I mean, I was big when I was 13, but that gravely was big. And uh, red clay dirt don't plow near as easy as sandy soil does. So that thing, it, you'd hit clods and it'd be shaking you around. And I remember I'd, t- I'd take my first row right down the middle, try doing my best to plow a straight line. And I'd get down to the end, I'd turn around, man, that thing, yeah, like that. And then I'd think, man, I ain't even fit for the kingdom of God because I took the plow and I turned back and looked. Amen? <laughs> even when I was a kid, I'd think that way. But no, what this means is, is to look back long. It doesn't mean that you don't look back and see where God's brought you from and see the things that God's called you out of, but it means to look back longing to return to it. Amen? You're not, we're not fit for the kingdom of God, and that disqualifies us from discipleship and the benefits of discipleship. Okay? Well, we go back there to Luke chapter 14. We're going to look back over to Luke chapter 14 again. So, two things that we've mentioned so far that are obstacles to discipleship. One's ignorance. You know, if you don't know, no one's half the battle, right? If you don't know, you don't know. Your family, because Jesus said that you have to love less your family than him, or you cannot be his disciple. I want to take a look at this, is that it says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Let's back up just a minute. Verse 26. And if someone comes to me and does not hate his own father, love less his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, your own life. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the parable of the sower. Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower, and he's talking about the sower went out to sow seed, right? We all remember that. You gotta get, man, you've got to get a hold of that, because Jesus said if you can't understand that parable, you won't understand any of them. That's, I call that that's the linchpin 
That's the one that holds it all together. That's the foundational parable. If we don't understand that, you will not understand any of the other parables of the kingdom. The sower goes out to sow, and we know some fell by the wayside, uh, some fell on stony ground, some fell among the thorns. Okay? The seed, and you understand, Matthew says the seed is the word of the kingdom. It's not just the word, it's the word of the kingdom. It's the word, and it's, and it's about discipleship. It says, the word of the kingdom is sown among the thorns. And listen to this, it says, what does it say? The three things. Three things that will prevent the, the word of God. You can have the absolute best word of God that is taught on the face of the planet. And I'm going to tell you what, what I'm teaching and this is not pride. Some of you might go say, well, that's pride. You're in pride. No, it's not. I'm just going to tell you this. I know what I teach is the Word of God. And I know, I told Pastor Shane, I said, I could go. It doesn't matter to me if there's 10 people in this room or if I went to Rhema Bible Church and preached a camp meeting and there's 5,000 people. I know that I have a Word to bring that is a powerful Word that if people receive it and walk in it, it will change your life. And it is productive. And it doesn't matter. This is the thing. The soil that the seed's sown on is it going to be? Is it going to be received? You understand this? Is that the seed? Three things that kept the seed from being productive, or let's put it this way: three things that kept the seed from reaching maturity. Because you understand, when you plant a seed, there's infancy, there's germination, and it grows up to a little bitty plant. And when it grows to its mature, it reproduces and it makes fruit. Right? So we're talking. We're still talking about spiritual maturity, discipleship. What, keep, what three things keeps the seed from maturing and producing fruit? Luke chapter 4, it says, The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust or the desire or the longing or wanting of other things. These three things. The Word can be good. The seed is the incorruptible seed of the Word. is sown. What, keeps, what would keep somebody from progressing from little sprout plant to mature? What would keep you from transitioning from, from just believer to dis, mature disciple that's able to reproduce yourself spiritually? Because that's the purpose of being a disciple. You have a master. You have a disciple. The disciple becomes just like the master, and that means he's able to reproduce other disciples. What, what can, what's one of the things that can prevent that? Cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and, and the desire for other things. Remember, Jesus said, if you don't love less, your family says, if you don't love less your own life, you cannot be my disciples. He said you cannot. So it's about a setting of priorities. Man, have we been talking this all year? A setting of priorities. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Is He Lord? Well, if He's Lord, He's supreme authority. It's a setting of priorities that He, that he is Master. So you have to love less your wants to what God wants. And a lot of people just don't want to know much about what God wants. A lot of people want to limit their knowledge of God's will in their life for, well, He wants me to come to the knowledge of salvation and get born again. And that's all they want. And I did this a couple of weeks ago, and then the rest of their life they want to walk around like this spiritually. Blah, 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 blah. Can't hear you, can't hear you, can't hear you, blah, blah, blah. Not listening. <laughs> that's right, baby, you got it right. They walk around the way because they want to, because how many of you have heard the saying, ignorance is bliss? You think, you think, well, if I don't know it, I'm not accountable for it. 
And so I don't want I don't want to know that. Do you have to love less your own life to where if it, it means that your plans, your agenda, and your vision for your life are put on the back burner, and what the master says you do. And if you don't do that, you're not a disciple. You're not. You're not truly a disciple. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter eight, he said, "If you do this, he said, you're, you're truly my disciples. You might falsely be his disciple. We might think that we are. We might think, well, we're going through the motions. But how many of y'all know I can get on a treadmill? I can't. I'm sorry, theoretically, if I get on a treadmill and I jog for two hours on a treadmill, and I can look at a little thing." And I'm looking at the treadmill, and the little thing is telling me how many calories I've burned, and it's telling me how many miles I went. How many of you know, that little treadmill, if I'm jogging at four and a half miles an hour, and I do it for two hours, the little treadmill is going to tell me I went nine miles. But guess what? I'm still standing in the exercise room of the YMCA. Oh, but I went through the motions. I just didn't get anywhere. Too many Christians... Believers are going through the motions. But ten years later, they're still standing on the treadmill. You're still in the room with the YMCA on the treadmill and you've not progressed any place and you've not matured, but we've tricked ourselves into thinking that just because we're going through the motions that we're doing something. And we're not. And we cannot be eligible for the benefits of discipleship. We can't. That's why when we are faced with crisis and we pray, nothing happens. Well, I guess that faith stuff just don't work. No, baby, you've been, you, you ain't been growing. You ain't got, you know, when, it's like when me and Clay play. Clay wants to come down, he's like, I want to wrestle and, and you, know, you, you know, kind of boxing with Daddy. How many of y'all know, right now, when Clay comes running at me and he draws back and he throws a punch, I ain't flinching a whole lot. Like, all right, come on with your 25, 30-pound bad self. Right? 40. Bring your little 40-pound bad self on. Plant one right here, you know? How many of y'all know in about 15 years, if Clay's about six foot two and 225 pounds and he's bench pressing 400 pounds, I'm not going to want to stand back and take a shot from him. Why? Because the punch is going to carry more power. Why? Because he's matured and grown. And if we want our, if we want one of the benefits of our prayers packing punch, then we're going to have to grow some, right? Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, so we've talked about ignorance, obstacles to becoming disciples. And there are benefits that you do want. There are, there are benefits you do want to being a disciple. Ignorance is the first one that will stop you. Is the, the second we mentioned was your family. Your friends, your relations, cannot, you cannot put, give them priority over what the Master says. Your own desires cannot take priority over what God says to do. Last thing is, um, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Because we, we're going here because um, we've mentioned that the three things that will prevent the seed from maturing, bringing forth fruit, or let's put it this way, three things that will prevent the believer from maturing, 
three things that will prevent a believer from moving from just being a believer to being a disciple. And like I said, understand why I say this too, again too, we're not talking about anything to do with your salvation. Remember when we were talking about, what was, it, was it 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Was that it, Cheyenne? Was it, where it was talking about, we'll stand before the beam of seat. 1 Corinthians, when it talked about when we would stand in judgment, it, it, it stand in judgment before Him. It says, even the people that stand before Jesus, even the believers, because the unbelievers aren't going to be there. They're already in the lake of fire. When we as believers stand before Jesus and He judges our works, and when we talk about the sum, all of their life's works will be burned up. They will have nothing. They will have no reward. They'll enter into the kingdom with no reward. And the Bible even says they will escape as if by fire. That means they will survive as if they ran out of a burning building that was burning down around them. You, you're going to survive. You're saved. Okay? As, if, as far as the extent of salvation just being you don't go to hell. Hopefully we all have a much broader perspective that salvation is a lot more than just a I get out of hell free card. There's work to be done on the kingdom. Okay? But um, this one right here, it, it says uh, Matthew 6. 24, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. What are we talking about? Discipleship. What are the two main components in a discipleship? The disciple, the learner, the pupil, the student, if you will, and the master or the teacher. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or you cannot serve God and riches. One of the biggest obstacles to people being disciples of, of Jesus is, is money, is their master. Amen? You understand, and you understand this. Let's put this on the table. Do you know that you can be eat up with... The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10 that the love of money is the root of all evil. Do you know you can, you can be eat up with it and love money and not have two pennies rubbed together? You can live up underneath the interstate bridge and not have two pennies to rub together and be so consumed with money all day long you out hustling, trying to hustle somebody. You're trying to beg it up. You're spending your whole time begging it, chasing it, pursuing it, trying to hustle it, and you ain't got none. But you still eat up with the love of money. Because it doesn't say money's the root of all evil. So therefore, money's not the requisite to be eat up with the sources of evil, right? Just the love of it. But you do understand that you can be... So we say that so that people go, Oh, yeah, them rich people, they spend all their time chasing after money. But no, 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 darling. It's everybody. How many know when God says something, He's no respecter of person, and it applies to everybody, and it doesn't matter if you're dirt poor and you're living in a teepee out in the woods, or if you're living up in some mansion out in, where is it, up outside of Lakeland, out there on the Willacoochee Highway. Glory to God, there's a big house out there. This thing's big. I think it's three stories. Is it three stories? Three-story brick house? Man, glory to God, the entrance to their house costs more than my house. It's big. So you understand that we're not talking about your economic status does not keep you and your affluency doesn't keep you from entering the kingdom, but it's what's your priority, what's your love? What is your love? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Now you understand this. Hate the one does not mean to have feelings or hostility or a strong like of something. 
This is what we get because this thing. Do you know that our churches in this city, in this state, in this country, all over the world, they're filled full of people that they hate God. And they call themselves believers. And maybe rightfully so. But they hate God. Understand this, and like I said, when I said hate, if you, if you, and if you asked them, if you said, if, if Jesus appeared to them in a vision and said, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? They'd go, oh Lord, we don't hate you. We don't hate you. My God, we made it to early service this morning. We made it to the 9 a.m. service. We don't hate you. We love you. Understand this. The word hate, it's the same word used over in Luke when he's talking about hating your, your family and yourself. It just means to love less. It, doesn't, it does not mean to have feelings of hostility or strong dislike towards something. We think when we think hate, we think, ooh, I hate it. Ooh, I want to grab it and choke it and punch it and, and kick it and, and do bad to it. That's what we think when we think hate. It just simply means love less. So let's read that scripture. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will love less the one and love the other. In other words, it's got the wrong priority. It's in first place when it needs to be further down the line. He said, You can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one, love less the one, and love the other, or you will hold fast to the one and despise the other. And right back to that word despise, because every one of us that have ever heard this verse, everybody in the church that's ever read this verse, that's cracked the Bible open and read it, heard it preached one time, would say, But I don't despise God. I don't hate Him. I don't despise God. I don't despise Jesus. Why? Because we think despise, again, means a a feeling of hostility toward. When really despise can literally mean just a feeling of indifference. Check this out. Despise. Despise the other means to esteem less than the other. It doesn't mean you have any hostility. It doesn't mean that you hate God. It doesn't mean you have feeling of pent-up hostility toward God or Jesus or the church. It just means you just don't esteem Him as highly as the other thing. So when Jesus says, you can't, you know, you're going to hate one and love the other, let's read it this way. Read it this way, and hopefully this gives us a little bit clearer understanding. No one can serve two masters, for either he will love less the one and love the other, or he will hold on to the one and will esteem less the other. And when you read it, and it's literally what, what the literal translation of what it's saying. It's saying, Jesus is saying, look, you can't love me less than you love something else. And how, do we, how does God know that we love Him? We keep His commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. It doesn't have nothing to do with why well, i got sentimental feelings toward Jesus. <laughs> Big deal. Sentimental feelings has nothing to do with love, as God talks about it. But you understand, he said, he said, so we can't have those. This is the thing, just to esteem less than the other. If you esteem something, it gets greater priority. It's like, you know, I try my best to respect all ladies, you know. I was raised in West Virginia. I'm not quite a southern gentleman. I'm a hillbilly, right? There's a difference between hick hillbilly and southern gentleman. But, you know, my parents tried to raise me to where I respect all ladies and I, and I esteem a woman. And I don't think that a man ever has any business whatsoever raising his hand to hit a woman. 
Matter of fact, I had a friend in high school, uh, my best friend in high school, he was six foot eight and weighed 315 pounds, and we had another friend that was like 6'2 and about 270, big guy, both football players. And right after high school, they got married. Uh, they didn't get married. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Yeah. The one guy got married to a girl that we all three went to high school with, and, you know, they were drinking a little bit. He was over at his apartment, and this big old six foot two, 265 pound guy, he got uh, a little angry at his wife that was about, uh, you know, five foot five, maybe 135, 140 pounds. And he smacked her right in front of my best friend. I wasn't there. He smacked her right in front of us. Smacked her down. He smacked her so hard she fell on the floor. And uh, my best friend, he was telling me this a couple of days later because he was real upset. And he said, B, he said, man, um, he said, I just don't know if I did the right thing or not. And he, so he told me about the situation. He said, he said and, she, and he smacked her right before. I said, he did what? He said, said, yeah, dude, man. He said, he smacked her right in the face. I mean, put a whelp on her and laid her out on the floor. He smacked her so hard. I said, what did you do? He said, well, he said, I just don't know if I did the right thing or not. I'm thinking, you wuss. You just stood there. and I'm sitting there. What, 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 what did you do? He said, I, like, he's like, he took, I took my big six foot eight, 315 pound self. He said, and I knocked him out cold as a wedge. And I told his wife, you might want to get up and get out of here because he's probably not going to be in a good mood when he comes to. And I told him, I told my buddy, because then I was a lot bigger and stronger than I am now. I mean, some of you might think I'm big and strong now. I mean, I was 275 pushing almost 500 pounds on bench press then. And I told my six-foot-eight buddy, I, care, I, had a little bit, I had a little swagger with me. I told him, I said, if you hadn't told me you laid him out, I said, I'd have kicked your tail right now. Why? Because I was taught you esteem a lady. Well, that's a long story to tell you this, is that I, so I was taught to esteem women. And men don't beat on a woman, and you, and you treat a woman like a lady. But, so any woman in here, I'm going to be polite to you, I'm going to be courteous to you, I'm going to treat you like a lady, I'm going to treat you kind, I'm going to treat you the way I would want another man to treat my wife in the situation. But you know what? I'm going to treat my wife a little bit different because I esteem her highly than I do all the rest of the women in here. Even my grandmother, and she knows that, and she knows that's the way it's supposed to be. That's what the Word teaches. And so my point is, is that we can, we can, if, if we are believers, and if we esteem, we can say, Jesus, I hold you at this level of esteem, but if there's anything else that goes past that threshold, if there's anything else that consumes more of us and has more access to us than what he does, we esteem him less, and we love him less, and by the definition of the Bible, we do hate him, and we do despise him. And therefore, he's not our master, and we're not disciples. Now, I'm telling you, this ain't, a, this, ain't the, this ain't heavy. Do you realize this is good because this is how we access the benefits. This is how the blessing and the benefit and the power that Jesus walked in in his life, this is how the power and the blessing and the influence that Peter and John walked in, that people saw it on their life and said, I want what you got. That is how we get it. Because everybody that gets around it wants it, but not very many people are willing to sit down and figure out what's it going to cost to build this tower. What's it going to take to, to fight this battle? i got 10,000, somebody coming at me with 20,000. What's it take? And it, a lot of it is because it's not being presented right. But this is the thing. If you're willing to do it. Now this is the thing. If all you want to do is just get out of hell, 
If all you want to do is escape hell, then you can stay at believer state. But if you want to walk with the anointing and the power of God in your life to that degree that people are like, man, what do you have and how can I get some? Then it takes discipline, right? Everybody everybody'd like to you know, be the world boxing heavyweight champion, right? What's it take to be that? Everybody would like to win the national football championship, right? What's it take to get that? See, everybody likes to have victory and walk in victory and have power, but not everybody's willing to pay the price. And that's what God's calling us to because He wants every one of us to do it. And this is the good thing. Do you know that there is nobody in the universe that has more confidence in you than what God does? Because this thing, He wouldn't call you to something that He didn't know that you were capable of stepping up to because He put it in you. Amen? Man, all creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. There's a world that's hungry for you and hungry for what God's put in you that's just screaming to get out. Amen? Praise God. Well, was it good? Amen? We know it was good as the Word, right? Amen? How many of us we want to move on from just becoming believers to disciples? Amen? Praise God.